Hello and welcome to a special edition of Talking Jacks uh, during the hiatus. Unfortunately, there is no actual soccer on the agenda anytime soon. Um, there's some esports and things like that going on, but nothing substantial on the pitch, unfortunately. But luckily, I was uh, pleasantly able to talk with Jared Odenbeck. And some of you may remember that name. He was a midfielder slash defender, briefly played for the Independence uh, back in 2017. What uh, immediately... Because he was a, a, he did a very small stint with the Independence. I think he made me made a few appearances, if if that. But what I found interesting about his story and about him personally is that he's been very open. He's been sharing stories and about how his experience in soccer has been a little different. Um, we talk about a lot about his career. Um, how he's gone from playing with the independents through a contact uh, that he knew in college, went to Sweden in the fourth tier. Um, We talked about what it was like playing in a pro rail system um, as well as a number of different things. It's a little bit longer of a conversation, but I enjoyed it. I hope you do too. Um, I won't ramble on too, too much, but he currently is uh, a player for Sumptown Athletic in NISA. Um, and just to give an idea uh, of kind of his perspective on things, which he talks a lot about it in the interview, but I will link a uh, an article he wrote back in 2017 for uh, What a Howler. Um, it was an article, kind of the his feelings and his perspective on transitioning over to the, the the fourth tier of Sweden. But we talk a lot about his career and his perspective on things. And I, I, I think it's a good interview. I, like I said, I really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, let me know what you think. Um, we do briefly talk about what it's like as a professional soccer player amidst the hiatus and the unknown that we're going into with this, uh, the pandemic. But um, without further ado, here is that interview. Alrighty. I am joined by Jared Odenbeck. Um, you may know him because he has curious uh career path as we discussed before we started recording um he's played all over the world um but the the part that i find interesting and honestly why i even wanted to have this conversation um is multifaceted but of note now he is a player with the uh stumptown athletic of the league nisa of course uh, but thank you for joining me i was going to say us jared but uh thanks for taking your your enormous amount of time you have uh to join me on the pod today hey thanks for having me yeah so i guess the first thing i wanted to jump into uh, we're going to be taking 12 steps back um and just kind of seeing where the conversation goes But what made me interested to talk to you um, is because, like I said, you've had a a curious career in the sense that it hasn't been traditional in the fact that um, you didn't graduate college, go straight into MLS. You've been around the globe, like I said. Um, You've, of course, have played with the Charlotte Independence, but you've also... Back in, I think it was 2017, took a gamble on yourself and a, a gamble in life and played for a fourth tier Swedish club. Um, I guess the 
the first question we'll kind of dive into is what did you learn from that experience and, and what kind of motivated you to take a gamble on yourself in that way? Yeah, so I actually had to hold in my own laugh when you said that I played for a fourth division <laughs> Swedish club. <laughs> um, yeah, so looking back, um, that same year I was with Independence. Um, Mike Jeffries and, and Troy Lesane were really gracious to give me a chance um, at the professional game. And um, it was actually between there and North Carolina FC and um, I'm really happy I went to Independence. Not that North Carolina FC, I have any knocks on them because at the time it was a good club with a lot of good players and good guys. But um, just something I really loved about uh, being able to play in, in the hometown and the group of guys in 2017 uh, in Charlotte were exceptional as well. And I think um, Mike obviously is a great coach, but um, Troy's personality and I don't know, is just. Uh, infectious love for the game I think really captivated me um, and I was eager to learn uh, it didn't work out for me in in Charlotte uh, for a multitude of reasons <laughs> of which I don't really have to get into but one just not being good enough compared to the other players in my position to a lot of time on the sidelines with injury um, but uh, ultimately I, I had a conversation with Mike and um, I was just really, really keen to play, to be honest, because um, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm young. I don't know how many years I have left in this. Football's like a lottery. You have no idea what you're going to get year to year uh, at this level. So I had a had a random contact, um, actually through one of my teammates at Wake Forest, Ian Harks. Um, his girlfriend was playing at the time in the first tier of, of Sweden for a Champions League team there, and she had a contact that helped her get there, so this guy helped me over and uh, basically set me up with his, his local club. Um, and I think the biggest learning experiences for me were just personally that I was no longer that concerned about kind of like the status of mm. football. And even when you're in USL, like I kind of felt, Oh yeah, you know, USL is pretty good. But then when you tell someone, yeah, I'm playing in the fourth division, of any country, you know, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But like fourth division of Spain is superior to fourth division of Sweden. So you say Sweden and people are like, Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's not that <laughs> great. And you're like, yeah, it's not that great. But, um, I realized that though the quality sure. Yeah. It's not a USL level. It's not that high. Um, I had so much fun. Mm. Um, and People say it all the time, and it's a massive cliche, but um, football is such a common language around the world. And I went into a locker room of, I don't know, 19 other Swedes and one American that didn't speak any Swedish. Um, and when I left, I um, was able to speak and like learn and the different relationships that, that came about of that and um, just the experience with a new culture and like, a foreign place of the world and kind of the feeling of like being a total outsider um, was something that I, I really enjoyed. Um, I think from a, a motivational side um, because it is pro rel and because there are plenty of other clubs that are honestly sniffing around at that level, maybe in the third division or the second division, um, Multiple of my teammates are actually now playing in the second tier in Sweden, which is a really good standard um, that were teammates with me in that same club. And you really never know um, what can happen there. But uh, I ended up getting a trial in, in the third division um, on two occasions, actually. Neither of them ended up resulting in a contract. Um, but I think another thing that I learned while I was there as well is that uh, I was really trying so hard to almost kind of like prove to myself that I could play at a respectable level or that kind of all the years that I had spent as a kid and in high school and in college training on my own training multiple times a day, you know, doing all that classic stuff that's supposed to be good for you and to get you where you want. 
um, it was almost kind of like my litmus test for kind of like this worldview that I had almost built um, for years and years and years. Where I said, oh, if I just work hard enough, it's only a matter of time um, until something something comes to me that I deserve because I worked so hard. Um, and I, I really realized that it's not the case. Like football doesn't owe me anything. Um, the world doesn't owe me anything either. And I think the in Sweden, I really realized that for the first time. And I kind of started to like let go of a lot of that stuff and just say like, all right, why do I even play this game to begin with? Like, <laughs> it's supposed to be really fun. Um, and I think after that experience, I, I started to get more of a feel for why I was playing. Um, and I was able to kind of switch my perspective to like, rather, what can I get from football versus like, well, what can I give to football or what can I bring to like my own team every day? Like, I don't really care anymore about, well, you know, what can I get from this team? Can this team help me get to a higher level? Can this coach connect me to someone else? Like, that's also part of why I went to Sweden, because I almost wanted to say, hey, look, I've, I've made it over here now. Like, take that USL, take that <laughs> Wake Forest, whoever, you know. Um, but it didn't, it didn't work that way. And yeah, and that's OK. But I think that transformation and kind of that switch in my mind actually was able to click some things into place that actually took a lot of pressure off and made me a, a better player in, in a number of senses, but also a much better person uh, to be around. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not some stand-up guy, but um, I think just maybe more of a a better character in, in locker rooms and, and just in, in daily life as well, for sure, because football used to really impact me um, from a day-to-day -day standpoint in terms of how trainings went, how matches went, to how my own mood and emotions carried over into my everyday life. And you did touch base on this briefly, but with the fact that there was pro-rel um, in motion available there uh when you were playing in sweden was it what was it like as a player was it something that you were constantly checking the table and results and maybe constantly thinking about each pass and interaction in the game or what was it like as a player to be involved with a, a pro rail system Oh yeah, I mean it's it's quite exhilarating, and you think, oh, it's fourth division, it's not a big deal, but it is because there's money involved um, with every club, and the less money, the higher up you go in leagues, the more money allocation you get from each league, um, and the more that you can invest into like your youth structure. And for a lot of those clubs, like they know they're not going to be like Malma or like you know that's the club that produced Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Like they're not going to be Malma. Like that's okay. Um, but they want to be a club maybe that like produces kids that then go on to play at Malmö or a place like that, or they go play somewhere in like Denmark or Germany. Um, and so if you have a good youth structure, then you can also make money down the road because you're then selling players to, to clubs for fees. Um, so the pro rel was like quite a big thing. Um, I actually arrived middle of the season and my team were in fourth in a league of 14. Mm. And within, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 match days, we were down to 10th. <laughs> we, were, oh, wow. yeah. we were really feeling the heat. And it was really stressful. I mean, I can remember moments in, in certain games where, you know, you make a certain decision. And yeah, sure, maybe it's not, you know, a perfect decision in a game. Maybe it was even the wrong decision. And the captain of our team would just absolutely rip you i mean i remember times where i would be like oh this guy's gonna kill me after the game in the shower <laughs> like because i've played a cross field diagonal instead of just like sending it long yeah. um and it absolutely factors into the player's psyches um the second time i was in sweden um same league and we were dead last when i arrived and the same contact brought me there and he's like i think you can help our team 
basically like it's our last shot. We can't really afford to go down anymore and like continue to operate a senior team. Um, we'll just have to put a bunch of kids that are like 17, 18 and just go play for fun. Um, so that was much more stressful. The other one we ended up surviving and finished mid table. And then it's, you kind of get the weird sense at the end of the season where you're like, what am I even playing for? Um, <laughs> That's where, like, the, that's the great thing about playoffs in America is, like, there they don't have playoffs. Um, yeah. So, at the end of the season, you're kind of like, ah, oh, this is weird. Like, this game doesn't matter. Uh, we can both just stand here and, like, play soccer tennis if we want. <laughs> yeah. Like, you've survived um, the, the relegation part of it, but you're not looking forward to the promotion part of it. So, you're like, well, I've, I've pulled an arsenal here, so we're, we're good to go, I guess. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, but the the second spell that I was in Sweden, yeah, we were we were dead last in the league at the halfway point, and by the end of the season, um, we were got ourselves into a position where we were put into a relegation playoff, Ooh. and so it's quite funny how it works. It's you, and then basically in in the fourth division of Sweden, there's like four of them uh, throughout the whole country, so it's kind of like regional, so similar to like how PDL is structured. Yeah. Um, and you would play in your, it's basically a group of four. And so it, it would be us. Um, and then the other three fourth division, uh, teams that were also in that same position in their league, all grouped together in one knockout, only one, uh, team stays up. And then the other ones from the lower divisions, from the fifth division, would go up into the fourth division if that team was eliminated from our group. So only one team out of four gets out. Um, and those games were, like, probably some of the more tense games I've I've ever played, just in terms of, like, you know, it's like, I don't know, you pass the ball. It's like the classic hot potato game, right, where the guy's like, oh, I don't want to touch that. Like, just get that out of here. You don't want to um, be the guy that leads the, to the, the goal going back on, on your side. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't want to make big errors and and yeah. stuff like that. But um, it was also fascinating because it was in November, and November in Sweden is just like oh, unrelenting. Yeah. Um, I mean, we had games where the first knockout game it must have been thirty degrees, raining. It was at least thirty to. 35 miles per hour wind there was actually a tornado Ooh. warning in gothenburg that same <laughs> night that we played um and the other team they like they were just notorious for just long balling it so hard and so the ball was just like in the sky the whole game you had no idea where it was going to land um so you get that stuff going on and it's sometimes miserable to play in in those games because everyone's so tense and it's hard to get into a good rhythm but um it's it's fun to have that experience of relief um, on the other side of it when you win when you lose yeah it's it's disappointing but I quite yeah. like that format and I think everyone in the states is onto it now but um, there's just way more to play for and it makes it that much more exhilarating. Do you think the the balance between playing in a pro rel system where you're kind of fighting for the top table or fighting for the, the to stay up, of course, is, and I, I don't want to say better, but what is your experience in playing in both of those formats? I know, I know when you did play in the PDL, it's not quite the same as the, um, maybe a, a top tier, well, second tier, I should say, because USL isn't top tier, but, but what's your experience playing in both of those formats or your opinion, I should say? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that in the States, um, it's only exhilarating if you get into the playoffs, but then once you get into the playoffs, the season starts completely over. It's like none of what you've done for the past six to seven months matters whatsoever. Like it's basically one game and then you're, you're toast. So like, I don't know. And the independents always just end up drawing Rochester when they make the playoffs. So like, uh. that's going to be a three nil. <laughs> <laughs> they, if they make the playoffs this year they might even draw rochester with rochester not even being in the league so i don't know it's yeah it's or just we'll absurd Pittsburgh just to be uh to, just for uh, the bob lilies yeah five three two yeah um <laughs>
but yeah, I, I think that that dynamic of regular season to playoffs, it, in a way, it's almost irrelevant your body of work because Phoenix like have torched the regular season last year, right? Like not even close with anyone in the East or the West, and yeah. they don't win the final. They don't even make it to the final. So, yeah. In a in a sense, the playoffs are a good thing depending on which side of the coin you fall there if you're like yeah we're the seventh seed like we can be the underdog and you can create that narrative for yourself um versus hey we've grinded out a long season to stay top it doesn't really matter um whereas i think the promotion relegation you have to be consistent and you have to have a body of form for like the whole entire year you can't just you know it's classic narrative in american sports we just need to peak at the right time um (laughs) you've got to be top all season Otherwise, you're going to be down. And I think that's something that I appreciate is you have to be accountable for your performances for like an entire body of work. Whereas in the States, like, you know, obviously in other big sports, you know, uh, football, basketball, et cetera, you get teams that are just like, yeah, we're going to tank it so we can get the high draft pick. Like, what is that? You have no personal pride over your performance. You're just going to lose on purpose. I think that's (laughs) pathetic. Like, why are you even playing? The whole object of sport is in professional sport like to win like that's the point of the game is you find out who wins and who loses um so i think pro rel just from my experience it keeps you more accountable to that and i think in the end it actually gives you a higher level match consistently throughout a whole entire season because if you're sitting way outside the playoff picture and say usl and you're 14th in the east and you've got two weeks to go and you can't make up the deficit like it's like a free game for a better team. And then that yeah. subsequently affects the whole playoff picture. So I think from that, from that standpoint, um, pro rel is definitely superior. Now someone can obviously say, sure, but what happens when you just got all these teams that are in mid table obscurity and nothing happens at all. And I'll say, well, there's the one, the one downside, but you still got, uh, double the the narrative that a normal uh non-pro rel league would have because it's only action at the top whereas now you've got action at the top and the bottom yeah and then you've obviously got the uh the one in a million shot that uh lester can pull a lester right and, uh, and do what they did um one thing i'm curious on and this is more of a personal type question but have you always been the type of person that looks on the bright side of things or is, is more, I guess, patience and or patient and introspective? Or is that maybe something you've learned along the way in your soccer career? I would say I've always been introspective. I wouldn't say that I've ever been patient or ever looking <laughs> on the bright side. <laughs> um, I don't know. I... I think that I am typically quite hard on myself and I tend to be quite critical just Mm -hmm. in general, Um, even of, you know, whether it be my own team's performance or anything collective or anything that I just observe. I'm like, that can be better. I think I just have an impossibly high standard. I've had a number of coaches tell me that before, Um, especially just in like regards to the training. Well, I'll come to them. I'll say, it's just, this isn't good enough or we should do this and not to, you know, undermine their expertise or to say, Hey, you're wrong. I'm just saying, what if we did this? Like this could be even better. What if we held the players to this? And they're just like, that's impossible. Like it's just too high of a level and too much of an expectation. Um, And I definitely understand that. And I think I get that. And as I've gotten a little bit older, I think I've become more of a realist, but um, I've never really been the one to say, Oh, you know, all's just sunshine and rainbows. It's all good. I typically fall like quite a bit further, especially when I was younger on the other end of the spectrum where like things go wrong, then it's like really, really wrong. Mm. And then I know you did make the transition back to the the state side um, playing soccer. What was it like to play? Because I've heard only good things about the the tormenta side of things and, and their development uh prowess i guess you could say um what was it like because i know you did play 
um, I guess what now would be called Tormenta 2. Yes. Um, but what was your experience like there, and how maybe did it compare to other um, structures that you've been a part of? Yeah, so it was quite an interesting time for me because uh, I had just come back from Sweden, uh, my first spell there, and I had had a trial with a team in the third division. And at the end of the season in Sweden, I had started to have quite a bit of pain in, uh, in my groin, which wasn't a new experience for me. Um, and so I ended up on like the second day of my trial, like I couldn't even move. I was in just heaps of pain so I had to fly home um at that point it was the off season so I was just looking into other options and uh, I didn't have anything at the time and so I had, I ended up actually having to have uh an operation um I saw this specialist in Philadelphia and so I had an operation that put me out maybe three or four months and so at that point like all the USL teams that I which there wasn't many, but the handful of USL teams that I had been speaking to about going to preseason at that time, those were all nixed because I wasn't going to be fit until like end of April. So I reached out to um, Tormenta because I knew that they were going into the USL League One structure the, the following year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spoke to their coach, John Milarese, and um, he was running it as he planned to run the league one the next year, quite professional. I had heard good things from other players that I knew that had played with them before about just the professionalism of their setup, even though Statesboro does have a number of, of fallbacks <laughs> and issues with it. Um, it's, it's a really good setup and, and their owners, um, the Van Tassel family do a really good job in terms of squaring the players away and making sure that taken care of and feel welcome. Um, because I was coming off of pretty major surgery, basically with the most vital muscle in your body, maybe besides like a hamstring for football. Um, it was a slow summer for me. Um, I was never really in the squad at all. Um, I was having a hard time getting fit. And so from that standpoint, most games I was in the stands. I even <laughs> I even got a commentating gig uh, for maybe, I don't know, six or seven home games, um, which is quite cool because they chuck you on the the ESPN plus or whatever it is broadcast and you get to yeah. jump on with a guy and do the, the color commentary. So it was quite fun. <laughs> um, and I think that summer, especially I really started to become more fascinated with the kind of philosophical or systematic tactical side of the game. Mm. Um, Partially because the the USL League 2 is just like a slower pace than what I had been accustomed to, and so you can pick up on a lot of different movements. Um, But also there was quite a good group of players. Um, So I was exposed to, honestly, like kind of new dimensions of the tactical side of the game through a number of international guys that they had in that summer. Um, and a few of them are actually still with the club or in the USL. Um, so the group, the group that was there was, was quite good and, and very talented. So from that standpoint, it was similar to the, the Charlotte Eagles experience that I'd had in the past where the players are of a good standard. Most of them are looking to get into USL rosters within a year or two, once they finish college. Um, but Tormenta, another thing that I really appreciated about them is uh, it was it was quite a good humbling experience for me because I was often playing reserve games and the reserves for Tormenta 2 is like 16, 17, 18 year olds. Um, and so you're just like, yeah. wow, I should I should really retire. This is <laughs> this you is were, so bad. What, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but like 22, 23, maybe. Uh, I would have been in 2018, 23. I would have just turned 23 at this time. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm like, what on earth? Like, this is like, I mean, it's just a bad standard, right? It's really bad standard. It's like, uh, just kids and Tormenta didn't have a prominent academy at the time. I don't even know if they still do, but, um, that was like, perhaps one of the times where I really was like, okay, I need to learn patience because these are just kids. And honestly, however well or poorly I play in this match is so irrelevant. Like it's one of the most irrelevant matches in my whole career. So like 
I want to try to help these guys as much as possible because maybe they end up going on to play at a good level or maybe I can teach them something. Mm. Um, but also I, I kind of was able to step into uh, a little bit of this experience of like, I, I first like experienced this with uh, June Marquez Davidson where you have like an extra coach inside of the field that's like running everything basically. Yeah. Um, and so I was able to kind of take on that role and it was a good learning experience for me from that standpoint to be able to test like almost a lot of theories I developed about um, certain like football tactics and systems and stuff like that within yeah. that context and say, okay, from a pragmatic standpoint, does this work? Does this not work? Um, what if I take this space? What if I move the ball in this direction? What does the opponent do? So it was kind of like a, a really fun like playground in that sense. Um, but I think having that humbling experience of saying like, all right, I'm so irrelevant in my career that I can't really rest on my laurels anymore. Like I've just got to admit that like, I'm not playing at a good level, especially at this point. Um, and I think 2018 after that summer, especially going into 2019, I definitely had a number of times where I thought to myself like, all right, surely this is it. Like I need to start looking into college coaching and start looking into something else because I don't know how this is going to keep going yeah. forward. I'm going to be playing for a men's league team for 150 a game before I know it. It's got to be interesting to, to find yourself in a situation like that where just a few years ago you were on an upward trajectory of I'm going to be, maybe not I'm going to be, as we've talked about before, the next Jamie Vardy, but you're trying to improve as a player and now you've kind of transitioned into how can I improve mentally as a player, I guess you could say. Um, do you think that's maybe your biggest takeaway from that period when you were with Tormenta in, in that period where you were able to kind of figure out the mental side of the game? Yeah, and I don't think it's ever anything that I'll fully have figured out, but I think it was really yeah. my my first foray into that side of things. Um, and especially, I think, my own view of myself, I was able to come to terms with that and kind of take a lot of pressure off of myself. And at that point, if anyone's ever tried to do something for quite a long time and just you never hit the mark, um, there's something really liberating about the the moment where you can just say you know what like if i don't get that i will be okay i don't need to be a top level player to be content with myself or to be content with my life like i'll be just fine if i am bagging groceries <laughs> that's okay <laughs> or if i'm working in an accounting job or working in coaching like that's yeah. fine. So I think I think when I reached that point, which it took a lot for me to reach that point, um, that was almost when I started to notice that like I was actually playing better. I felt, oh yeah, okay, I'm I'm not even having to work that hard comparatively because I used to overwork so badly because I wanted something almost too much. Um, whereas now I'm, I think, a lot more relaxed around football and i see it what it is which is it's just a game yeah kind of seeing the what it can do i guess to shape you as a human rather than and, and what it does to you outside of the 90 minutes i, I guess absolutely the way i'll word it yeah um so one thing i'm curious on too is and i think i may have just answered this a minute ago but what, what would you say as you we'll kind of skip one facet of, of your career, but sure. to, to f move fast forward into finding yourself um, going to play in Nisa and, and playing for Stumptown, what was, I don't want to say what did you have to prove, but what was your motivation and your drive as a, a lower division soccer player that found himself playing for a third division league that's new and, and a new club and, and things along those lines what what was your motivation and drive to continue to play um so at the time i was i was still in new zealand 
Um, I was finishing out my season there, and I was due to move on to the New Zealand structure is weird. Like, if you think U.S. soccer screwed up, New Zealand football is an absolute disaster. I mean, it's such a disaster. Anyone that's inside of it will tell you, like, the fact that the national team even exists is unreal. Um, And if they were in any more challenging region than just playing the random Pacific Islands, there's no way they'd ever qualify. Um, But anyways, I I digress. (laughs) Um, Australia left that region to go into the Asia region, not because qualifying was easier, but because they were putting themselves into like a more respectable football federation. Um, But anyways, uh, so New Zealand split structure between like regional leagues and this like national league, six months and six months. So the season's in a sense, never ending. We would always call it the cycle. We're like, man, you really don't want to get stuck in the cycle too long because then you're going (laughs) to end up playing for some weird freaking team it sounds like you're talking about some type of like hunger game scenario where you're just constantly playing soccer that's so funny yeah where you're like you're trapped and you can never escape although new zealand's like perhaps the best place in the world for that reality so that's what was always so entertaining about the cycle is like yeah you kind of want to do it but then you're like yeah is this such a good idea i don't know so it was it was always a running joke that we had but um I was due to join a team that had actually gone to the Club World Cup, um, Mm. Team Wellington. And I was really keen because the coach that I had had um, in New Zealand was going to take the assistant job there. And the way that we played was just so enjoyable and um, really like cognitive possession-based football and just really, really fun where you have the ball like the whole game, like 80% of the game. Um, Mm. And... I got actually a text from Patrick Daka, who's the assistant coach at Stumptown. And he said, hey, there's uh, kind of some rumblings going on. Um, I'm going to be the assistant coach, the club. Like, we've still got a lot of details to figure out. I don't know how things are going to work. Mark Steffens will be the head coach. The league, we're going to be in NISA. And I was like, nah, I don't think I want to do that, to be honest. I think I'd, I think I'd rather be in the cycle. Um, yeah. <laughs> Did you even know what NISA was at that point? Or was I that had just no a, idea. Okay. I, was like, I, I was looking for information online, and I was like, what is this league? Like, is this, <laughs> like, I don't need, I had no, there was some other league, maybe like the ASL or something like that, that used to exist. Okay. Um, and I think, like, Philadelphia Fury were in that and there were some other teams where it's like people get right, paid yeah. by the game or something and oh, wow. I was always like really speculative of like well what is is this just like NPSL like I have no idea um and so when I heard about NISA immediately I was like this is such a disaster like this is not going <laughs> to go well and so yeah. I was like ah, keep me updated but I I don't know I think I'm probably going to stay in New Zealand um and then maybe I don't know fast forward a month um, I got a call from Oakland Roots, and they wanted to bring me in, and I saw their offer. I did some digging um, through my agent and through one other guy that I knew that was out in that area, kind of not involved with the team, but on the fringes of the club, and I was like, man, I don't know if this is the setup that I want. It was a really short, con- it was like a three-month contract, like basically through the end of 2019. I was like, this is no chance that this is going to happen. Like, that's a joke. Um, yeah. So I said no to that. And then eventually Stumptown came back and um, I was able to get two years guaranteed, which I was like, wow, that's yeah something that I'm really, really keen on. Because I think, one of the biggest motivators for me, honestly, um, wasn't it's my hometown, wasn't it's I know the coach. It wasn't really anything soccer related. It was just like, I want some permanence and stability in my life. I'm about yeah. to be 25 years old. I'm sick of jumping from place to place. Although it's funny, like so many people say, wow, you've you know lived in Sweden and New Zealand and you've had all these experiences and you've traveled and you've seen the world and I'm like yeah dude it's exhausting you don't want to do that (laughs) you want you want to stay where you're from you want to hang out yeah yeah maybe go on a summer trip if you can if you can swing that but it's different I would imagine it's a different scenario when you spend a week or two in Australia or Sweden than when you're living there and you're living the soccer professional soccer 
career life there. I imagine it's a, a very different scenario. Yeah, and I I think just the way that I'm suited, I would much rather prefer to be in a place for like five years than to see 50 countries in mm. five years. Um, and so I think I was I was relieved to know that at the very least I could say, okay, I can call this place kind of my home for a while. I can settle down in terms of relationally from a community standpoint i can kind of be around familiar people for a while i don't have to be peering over at my suitcase like every 10 days wondering if i'm gonna have to pack up and shove off in two weeks um so from from the nisa standpoint i almost said all right i don't know what this league is (laughs) let's see how it goes um worst case like it's another year or so, two years of football, um, and I'm around a familiar coaching staff. Can help build something from the ground up. Um, so, yeah, those are probably the driving forces behind that. And what? Correct me if I'm. I actually don't know this off the top of my head. Was this your first year with Stumptown, or no? So in 2019, I joined for the fall season. So Nisa has this like weird thing. Nisa's probably okay with me saying this. <laughs> um, they have they have this weird thing where they started off just doing a split fall and spring season, kind of like old NASL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which makes no sense to be honest. It's, um, it's but I think I think for them, they wanted to get it off the ground as quick as possible. Yeah. Um, and be able to say, all right, how will we do on our training wheels in kind of the fall and the spring season? And is this going to be sustainable long-term? The fall season was such an interesting experience because it wasn't even interesting. It's such a bad word, by the way. I had a college professor. I I was an English major and he would always say, interesting is the most BS buzzword I've ever heard in my whole life. He's this old guy, like 80 years old. And he would just (laughs) yell at these, 20 year old sorority girls for their horrible diction but (laughs) yeah um, it was uh it wasn't amateur but in in a sense it was somewhat suspicious because philly plays one game and they drop out of the league and it was like they lose 7-1 to miami and you're like uh we got it we were like training we're due to play philly the next game and coach is like, so I've just heard from the league that Philly's out. And so we're not going to be playing them. It'll be a 3-0 forfeit. And we were just like, okay, so you're telling me that there are three other teams left in our conference to play. Yeah. We had Atlanta, Miami, and Chattanooga. And so it was, it was a strange experience from, from that <laughs> standpoint where you're just like, man, this is really like, <laughs> we are really working from the ground up here. Yeah. Um, you're like, I've seen a lot of things in soccer, but I haven't I've seen, seen a lot, but I've not <laughs> seen a like four team league. That is, that is certainly a first. Um, it was kind of like champions league group stage. <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, so I was, I was there for the fall season. Um, and then obviously now we've, we've got two games down in this in the spring season and the rest is to be determined to be honest nisa you probably know ben but um are trying to run on basically a european calendar with the august to may season with like a a winter break of maybe six weeks and then a summer break on the other side of that maybe two months so that's kind of the reasoning behind the fall season the spring season and then full launch in 2020 and New York Cosmos and a couple other clubs are due to come in. Yeah. So we'll, and I feel like this conversation can go on endlessly, but I don't want to uh, take any more of your time or people that may be listening to this, who knows? Um, I don't want to take any more of their time, but to kind of put a bookend on this conversation, what has it been like as a, a footballer, soccer player, whatever you want to, title yourself as playing amidst a hiatus that at least as a fan feels like it's indefinite in some ways but but how has it felt as a player 
uh, during this pandemic. Yeah, it's quite strange. It's almost like uh, an unending off season. An off season is like such a horrible time. Um, one of the the guys um, that I work with in the off season, just from like a fitness standpoint, he always says that he's always trying to like back us down big time and just get us to chill out in the off season because we're always like rearing to go and we want to start touching a ball too soon and doing too much fitness and and all that. Um, and so the time away from the game is usually like the the most torturous time uh, for most players. I would say the only person that like is absolutely nailed the off season protocol that I've ever known is Jorge Herrera. He's got like the best off season <laughs> ever. He just does zero. <laughs> um, but uh, it's, yeah, it, there's a lot of uncertainty, of course. Um, it is a job just like the other millions of people that have been, kind of laid off from their job we don't have a layoff in that sense and most clubs are continuing to pay the players which i think is good and is a big step for american soccer but um it's it's very difficult to continue to try to project like now nisa were postponed until like mid-may or something it's like okay what kind of training do i need to be doing on what days and how much is too much and how much is too little and you're trying to find a lot of ways, especially now that Mecklenburg County are on this lockdown. Um, yeah. you're, you're trying to find ways to pass the time. And I think for me, it's actually been not nice, but more comforting because I've realized that I haven't really found myself sitting on my hands a whole lot, um, which has been yeah. good. I think the one thing that helps that a lot is that they've allowed people to go outside and exercise. Um, so I'm still able to go out with like a couple teammates and knock a ball around and, and get that going as well. And obviously go and run, but they've also approved uh, golf with social distancing in place. Um, and all yeah. these golf courses have set up like really preventative measures. Like they've put things in the cups to where the ball doesn't go into the bottom of the hole and you don't have to reach your hand all the way in and you leave the flag stick in and they've taken all the sand trap rakes away. So um I've been playing quite a bit of golf. I actually played 27 holes today, to be honest. <laughs> wow. Um, I'm not much, I have played one round of golf in my entire life, but that sounds like a lot of golf. It is a lot of golf. Yeah. So I, uh, I've been doing that and, um, that's, I think really good for me because I'm able to be away from the game, still get exercise. I think just being outside is one of the biggest things too, especially in springtime. It's a time of year that I really look forward to. Um, So being able to just be out and enjoy, like today was another beautiful day and to just be outside and breathe clean air and Mm. kind of forget about a lot of the things um, that are going on in the world right now. But um, yeah, apart from that, I think for everyone involved, there's just, again, a, a lot of uncertainty um people aren't really sure about their futures about their contracts especially in nisa with the league due to end um i think it's in june that the playoffs wrap up end of june early july so if this thing goes on for a while you know a lot of people are wondering well is is my career gonna end are they gonna just scrap the whole season and start over next year and say hey let's just honor everyone's contract are they gonna leave it up to the clubs what are the financial situations going to be the clubs without any kind of revenue coming in right now? So there's, there's a lot of questions and, and very few answers. Um, but I think most of the players, myself included, are just doing their best to try to stay fit, keep sharp, but then also probably take some time away from the game and not watch too many uh, Russian Premier League games like I've been doing. <laughs> I forget that they're like, when I first saw that the Russian Premier League was still going on, I was like, "That's a a joke, right?" Like they yeah. they've they've. But then you you think uh, you look at a globe and you're like, "Oh yeah, I guess they are kind of uh, broken away from everything." And the yeah, it's uh, and their it, government denies that coronavirus even exists. So you you've got oh multiple yeah. things going on well, there. They, yeah, Putin said in some interviews that it doesn't yeah, if you just if it if you don't acknowledge its existence, it it can't affect you. I think is, uh, well, it's a bold way of looking at it. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, 
Yeah, is there... I don't really know how to end this, to be honest with you, but I will guess I'll point the mic, proverbial mic, because we're uh, doing this over the, the interwebs. But is there anything... I really don't know how to end this. Um, <laughs> I've got a question for you. Sure, let's do that. Yeah. Uh, what is the story behind number forty-seven for you? Because I know that you've got it in your shirt for the Jack's Militia for the supporters yeah. group for Independence. So, what's the story behind the forty-seven? That's like some yeah. bootleg Serion midfielder number. It's. I, I wish there was like a really good story behind it, but there really isn't. Um, so I used to be a American football fan um, before I was a soccer fan, but uh, I used to be. I was a Pittsburgh Steelers fan primarily, and when I was not that young, but uh, Ben Roethlisberger, my name is Ben. He wore number seven, so I was like, "Ooh, yay, Ben!" And of course, yeah. Other things have come up after uh, <laughs> in his career, which makes me feel weird to say that. But that's kind of where I chose seven. And then I was sort of a, um, what was it? A, uh, I wanted to say Tampa Bay Rowdies, but it's not the Rowdies. Uh, Buccaneers uh, <laughs> fan. And Mike Allstott, the fullback, I was a big fan of. Because yeah. for some reason, I've always like gravitated towards like the defender who doesn't get a lot of love or right. the midfielder who doesn't get a lot of love so i was just like yeah mike allstott's one of my favorite players <laughs> so i kind of combined like those two NFL cult hero that guy yeah and it was so i kind of merged those two and for whatever reason um back when i was a teenager i uh i think the reason why i finally like chose this number was back when I used to play uh, NCAA football. I don't even know what year it was, but when they had like a creative player and you could um, like go through their career, I was like a wide receiver. And for some reason I chose 47, probably because of my <laughs> my innate like hipsterdom. And I was like, ooh, nobody has 47. So I'm going to do 47. Later on, I learned that like Andre Karolinko has 47 and other players have had 47 so it's yeah it's uh <laughs> i guess that's a little bit the of the backstory on why i have uh number 47 and it's yeah that's <laughs> any that's other awesome. uh, random that's questions you got for me or uh you want to put a bow in the conversation yeah we're calling there